start recording in just a moment? Mm -hmm. Yep. So now we're on. Okay. So anyway, uh, welcome, friend. I have a lot Thank of friends. You. I don't yep. see any. I I try to get. <laughs> I try to get my friends out of the student teacher relationship kind of thing. Yeah. To be to become part of the sangha. To, to join the organization of nobles right away. Yeah, it's a great approach. Okay, so anyway, you said that you had some questions. Yeah, um, meditation-wise, so as I said, um, I've been experiencing jhanas for the last three years. Uh, there was a period of time when I was doing first for like easily basically from the moment I sit down then some life events around year and a half ago like trigger a change to that and like for the last year and a half um, like on the cushion I can reach first two jhanas and typically like I vacillate between um, first two jhanas I vacillate between first two jhanas and uh, distractions, obviously. Um, yeah, my understanding is... Would you um, define the first jhana specifically? What are yeah. its attributes in detail? Yes, um, PT and Suka is there, uh, like excitement, um, overblowing links through my body, um, rapid breathing. Um, like rapid, PTSD. Rapid breathing. Like close to panting. I don't know like if panting would be correct term for that, but yeah, it's fairly like rapid. Um, and PT is more physical. So like experienced in the body more. Um, and in second, like breathing comes down, chills, and I get like really strong uh, like current going through my body, like very pleasant one. All right. Like your description of um, artesian well, like fits very nicely into that. Um, and how do you get into this state? Typically, um, all I need to do is just incline my mind, it feels like. Just uh, sometimes, yeah, it helps to use Libracenton method, which is just um, take deep breaths in and it comes down, like brings me down to second genre. Um, it's rare for me lately. What is the distinction between the first jhana and the second jhana that makes it such a distinction that people call it first jhana and second jhana? What okay. is the distinction? Uh, in the first jhana, again, um, like rapid breathing is present for me, like in seconds there is none. But if you're talking about factors of jhana, I would say uh, PT is stronger, but at the same time, like less coarse. It's um, it's not felt physically like over the top like, of my body, for example, but more like inside of me. 
like a stream or current going through me. And when it's, yeah, I guess from pleasantness perspective, like second one is obviously better. And so what are you thinking about when you're in this jhana? Mm, nothing. Like, I get pulled out with distractions every, like, I would estimate every couple of minutes. And it's, my relation with distractions kind of changed um, in the last year or so. Like, they just happen, they happen, they don't happen, they don't happen. So, I guess... Watching your videos, I would say, again, like, diligence is lacking to some degree. And, mm, yeah, like, being more diligent with staying in jhanas. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. So what do you do when you're in jhana? What's the value? What's the purpose? What's the, the point? Um, my understanding, I'm going to talk first about my understanding. My understanding is like I need to make it as pleasant as possible. Like into, properly said, to enjoy it as much as possible. Um, yeah. Um, to some degree, it's probably lacking. At times, I, I try to see what is not there. Like, okay, I experience um, this um, pity and sukha. Uh, what is actually absent and like I'm, I'm not saying I, I see much okay. um, Another thing like all the cushion even I can reach first jhana like for example, I'm talking to you right now and if I um, if I just take one deep breath, um, I can have like some degree of pity and sukha present in my body. Okay. Yeah, so that is present again of the cushions, the same diligence is not great. And again, life events for the last year and a half kind of don't make it secluded life, which is secluded from hindrances. All right, so let me ask you that same question in another way then. Okay. Uh, now that you have these states that you're calling first and second jhana, now what? Or maybe the way of saying it even derogatory is, so what? Um, well, I see that there is no suffering there. I see how pleasant it is. I see that, again, there is no suffering there. So the idea is to stay in them as long as possible. And isn't, isn't that nice? Okay. All right. That's, in fact, something that uh, when you were noting or saying things that were not there, now you're saying that there is, in fact, no suffering there. Of course, yeah. All right. Okay. So now we're on that. Uh, so what else? Or what's the point? What's the purpose? Other than, and by the way, being in a state of no suffering is exactly what the Buddha teaches. And so I can't argue too much with that. 
<laughs> but brother, I can't ask you as to what else there is, because obviously when you come out of these sessions, there's still more to do. Yeah. Okay. Then in fact, you do have other kinds of questions. And so rather than pursuing it from the perspective of so what, or now that you have these states, what do you do with them or what's the purpose of them? Let's let that, that settle for a while. And that may be something that we can go and investigate. Okay. And, okay. and then let's go into now that we have uh, what we have defined. And by the way, I want to congratulate you because very, very few people who say they have jhanas actually know what they're talking about. Thank <laughs> <laughs> I've been having them for a long time, and yeah, it's obviously great, and yeah. Okay. Uh, so, now that we've gotten this established, why did you call? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I think I already know the answers to my questions, but lots of students who call you, like, for example, Matt, my friend who calls you, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, he calls and he thinks like he knows how the answer is going to go and you positively surprise him all the time. That's, and, and what I didn't hear you. Uh, and you positively surprise him every time when he calls. Like he has expectation how you're going to answer his question, but your answer is actually better than his expectation. And we're <laughs> often different. Yeah. Um, so I kind of hope with some of that, um, but, uh, and I have personal question, uh, which I'm fine with recording, and it's like personal question to you. Um, should I ask it now? Yes, go ahead. I mean, it's not that personal. You don't have to state it as if it was me, me, me. Tell me a story about Uncle Jim. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. It's actual question. To, uh, well, it's related to me. That's why I'm asking. But uh, the question is, um, I don't know, like, if you're married or just uh, living uh, with a partner. But I know you have a child, obviously. Um, and I have a question, like, what convince you? What's the purpose of that? Because I'm what's looking at what's the purpose of having a child? Like, why to have a child and not to adopt, for example? Um. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> the first, the first, the first thing that popped to mind is, is that yes, I've been asking that question myself. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I have two of my own already. <laughs> uh, let us say that often we don't have that much choice about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, woman that, that there are some things that we have only partial control over, and there are some things we have totally control over. Okay. okay. And some things we only have partial control over. Uh, but in uh, in the regard of, of that, the original intention or the original thought would was that in Thailand the choices would be, first off, the choice already is to live in Thailand. That's where <laughs> I prefer. Yeah. I got 
a whole list of reasons for but with that than to even to live alone to live in the waters of a monk or a layman or to live in a Thai family mm-hmm. and I have chosen intentionally to live in a Thai family because I know Thai families they're matriarchal mm-hmm. and in yeah. fact in the process of that I've made uh, Tam uh, the head matriarch of her family because I knew how to do that. I've studied, I know enough about Thai culture to know this and that has to fit together in certain, certain ways. So now she has enormous power within the family, stretching down the second and third cousin kind of things. And so she's kind of the center of a large, maybe 30 uh, member family. But it's also interesting in the sense of COVID's had an effect upon it, but a large part of the family uh, moved from Udon Thani down here to Kopangan to get jobs. And, and Thai people do that. That if one person in a family gets a job at, say, Toyota, within five years, five members of his family will be working at Toyota. And in 10 years, they'll have 15 people in that family working at Toyota. So little, a little bit of nepotism, right? <laughs> but in uh, a good way? Uh, Friendliness, I guess. Nepotism was a little bit harsh. <laughs> yes, I would say very, very nepotism, not just in a little way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that there is a huge amount of nepotism in, in the Thai system, and some of it works to the great advantage, and some of it, I would say that the higher the level in money and politics and power it mm-hmm. goes, then uh, the more nepotism has a negative, uh, unbeneficial effect. Especially when you've got a leader or a power uh, person like a president or whatnot like that, that only hires his own cronies and his own family because those are the only people he trusts. So he doesn't go to get experts to go do what he needs experts to do. He will get his family to do what he wants them to do. Mm-hmm. That's where nepotism really fails us as a uh, philosophy. But at okay. the local level, but at the local level, if there is a door into an industry, then uh, and one person gets into that industry, then bringing your family in uh, to that industry has been happening worldwide for positive effects. Yeah. Okay, so that's what they do big time in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And so I know all about that and have uh, helped people get jobs and loan them money and uh, 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 interactions. We're also really good friends with the neighbors here, which is a different family. But now we're almost, since we've been here for seven years now in this, in this same house, we're very, very much like family, that the kids play together, the dogs play together. Uh, <clears throat> Whenever anything happens in our house with other members of our family, we invite the neighbors also. And so it's, it's very, very uh, open. There's a, an open interconnectedness that the Thai people have that I don't see in Western culture. Yeah, yeah. 
it's more present in Europe, I would say. I would say so, yes. It is in America where it's easily seen to be missing. Yeah. And so as, uh, but it's always that way true if you're a, um, an outsider. And being a Westerner in Thailand would naturally leave me on the outside unless I actually knew the secret door of getting into a Thai family. And I have so successfully done that. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. And that's my uh, retirement insurance. I've got, even if my wife died, I would still be taken care of by the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. Because I'm part of the family now. Yeah. Part of the family. Yeah. And so, if I understand correctly, child, as you said, like, wasn't like fully your decision and like it had to happen naturally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, I'm pretty old to be having kids. I was I mean, 69, and <laughs> it's almost in Bible story kind of thing. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're one of the best parents ever, like from very glimpses I got, you interacting with we your daughter. We have a lot of fun here, yes. We yeah, and you taught me a lot uh, how to interact with my own kids, and thank you for that. Patience is obviously number one. <laughs> Good. Okay. So, um, that's that's one question. Let's. What's your what What other questions do you have? Um, like really, of the cushion. I'm I'm gonna talk a little bit more about my practice so of the cushion. Um, when I'm not meditating. Um. Like at times I have periods where no self, uh, like self is obviously absent. Uh, sometimes like hours attend, rarely, but hours. Um, I experience spontaneous, if you can call it spontaneous, like bursts of joy at times, um, like states reminiscent of the first jhana again. Fairly often, like if I incline my mind again uh, on the cushion, I can be in for jhana like in two, three seconds. Just take a deep breath in, and it's like you have factors of for jhana, like sure, shallow, like not as strong as obviously like on the cushion typically, but still fairly strong factors present, no thought. Um, so my understanding is, and correct me obviously if I'm wrong, um, all I need to do is just practice it more, be more diligent about it, being about being more present of the cushion. Uh, probably I need to be more secluded from hindrances that as Secluded from what? Hindrances. Oh, okay, I hear you now. Yeah, uh, I live um, layman life and Plus, there were events in my life, and there are still events in my life that do affect, uh, that are temporarily, but they do affect my mindfulness. Um, yeah, so that's basically it, like my story. Okay. 
Um, do you want um, quick answers? Or do uh, you want I want detailed. Or do you want detailed answers? Um, let's do this quick, and if I misunderstand them, we will do detailed. Pardon? Let's do quick ones, and uh, if I misunderstand them, uh, we will do detailed ones. All right. Um, let us take it then in two approaches. One approach is um, kind of a new way of practicing in the sense of time structure or in the sense of how you spend the day. And the second one would be uh, that if you can get yourself into the state of first jhana uh, and maintain it and sustain it, what are you going to do with it? How do you structure your time while you're in it? Okay. Okay. Now these two things are interrelated, but they're they're distinct in the sense of uh, one is much more of the physical practice or the uh, or what we're doing, and then the other one is um, actually after we're in the first jhana, what are we going to do there and why and what? Okay. Okay. And so those would be the two uh, topics that we would discuss. And uh, uh, the, let us take it in reverse order. The answer to the first, the second question is what do you do with uh, the first jhana while you're in it? The answer is a, another particular kind of investigation that is literally harping on things that uh, are wholesome and actually exist, while noting also the absence of things that don't exist. That's what we would do while we're in First John. And now to the first question. Uh, the question is, how can you take the First Jhana off the cushion? so that you're in the first jhana whenever you remember to be in the first jhana throughout the day. Now, I'm talking about most specifically the first jhanas because you don't want to go out living your life in the second jhana exactly, because in that state, you're not thinking about anything, mm -hmm. rather just in the state of kind of experiencing or letting it all happen. Uh, in a, in a very hands-on kind of way, kind of letting it all happen in the sense of the way that a Formula One race car driver is driving his car in that race. <laughs> yeah. Very hands-on letting it all happen, but there is so much happening all of a sudden that all you can do is stay just in this present moment to where in the first genre we can think a bit more conceptually with that ability to apply and sustain the mind. Except that with this application of the mind into positive things, wholesome things, and then sustaining it within the wholesome. And so we're always looking at things from a wholesome perspective, and this is what we maintain as the first jhana. So what can we do? What exercises can we take on? 
What does the Buddha recommend so that we can get ourselves into this first state, this jhana, in, uh, on a regular, often basis and be able to sustain it? And while we're in it, we've got work to do, and that is to investigate a whole group of things, all of which are wholesome, including how the mind works itself. Mm-hmm. As you can figure out how the mind works, now you can really begin to control it. Until we really understand how the mind works, it's really kind of out of control. In other words, it's like sitting in an automobile that's running at 100 miles an hour, but you don't know what a steering wheel is. You don't know what gas and brakes and any of that stuff here. You, You don't know what's going on here. But as soon as you figure that stuff out, now you can begin to manage and control this thing. Okay. And that's oh. how we begin to live our life all the time, is we live our life in a pleasant, free from dukkha, sort of walking around in first jhana, full of joy, full of pity, but we are keeping the mind focused primarily on staying in that state as we deal with things that are worth dealing with. And generally... Okay. Dealing with the Dhamma is worth dealing with, which is what we're doing. That's one of the most important, beautiful qualities of the Dhamma, and it really did dawn on me only recently of how wholesome the Buddha Dhamma actually is. And so when we're thinking about even reading a book about the Dhamma, if the mind becomes wholesome because the Dhamma is wholesome, then the mind is in a very wholesome state just by reading a book. But most people don't. Most people, when they're reading the book, they get confused, they get worried, they get uh, 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 competitive, they say, this is right, I don't believe that, and all that kind of reading. And then they're just an ordinary mind. But it is actually possible to get the mind really focused on the literature so that you really get it. And that's especially true if it's actually Dhamma, like a Sutta or a good Dhamma talk by Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa or someone like that. So, knowing that if we keep our mind focused on the wholesome, even while we're not listening to uh, one of the old masters give a talk or reading a Sutta, that we can still keep the mind focused on wholesome things, focused on wholesome dhammas, both with a big D and a little d, or another way of saying it is uh, uh, focused on the wholesome no matter what it is, which would be the little d dhamma, or the big D would be the Buddha dhamma, or the teachings of the Noble Eightfold Noble Path, and, and including that first jhana which is part of the teaching. So when in fact, if you're in first jhana and you're investigating, one of the things to investigate is first jhana, including investigating this rapture, investigating this sukha, to get our uh, really a good understanding of the fact that this state of sukha is a state where we are not afraid of anything, that this is a state when we are safe and secure. This is not a fearful state. There's no fear here. Okay, so we have to look at that. What is this sukha? Is it fearful or is it not? No, it's not. 
Is it uncomfortable or is it comfortable? It's comfortable and I like it. It's good. But it's not the kind of I like it, therefore I want it. Grasping and clinging. It's like it because I experience it. Right here, right now, I've got it. Right? So this is what needs to be investigated. Also to investigate the mind. In fact, can I keep the mind wholesome? Because if the mind goes into unwholesome states, then the jhana will be lost due to hindrances. You said yourself, you got to get out of and keep out of the hindrances. Let's make a point of that. Now that you know how to get out of hindrances, let's make a point of getting out of them any and every time that we think about them and stay out of them as long as we can and stay only into wholesome thinking. Okay, that's right. the diligence part, yeah, that's been missing a little bit. And so this is what the investigation is really all about. The investigation has this criteria, would be even down to is this thought worth having or not? Is this thought going to keep me in that state of jhana? Or is it going to be a kind of thought that can help me get into the first jhana? Or is it the kind of thought that will hinder me from getting into the first jhana or may in fact pull me out of it if I allow that thought in while I'm in the first jhana? And so this is how we begin to guard the mind, to be on alert. This is what we mean by applied and sustained thought. So this is a new skill that you've got to add to your first jhana, which is making now the jhana more complete. The first jhana has five factors built into it, and the bringing together of these five factors is the bringing together process in Pali is called samati. Mm -hmm. Most people, when they hear the word samati, they have it translated for them as concentration. This is not concentration, because those people who are concentrating are going deep. And so that's why I wanted to question you when you said, Jana, what are you actually doing? And congratulations, you answered the question correctly. You know what you're doing. And I can't, I'm really happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> congratulations. But let's add all of the Jana factors together so that the Jana becomes quite complete. Knowing that the, anything that can be done in the second Jana can also be done in the first jhana, except there's a little more to do in the first jhana than there is in the second jhana. In the sense that when the mind is in its ordinary state, it, it is subject to the hindrances, subject to anxiety, to frustration, to sadness, to all kinds of things that will keep the mind stirred up, full of emotion. Getting into the first jhana, then, is a new level of uh, relaxation. So that in the first jhana, even though the rapture and the pity is there, that excitement is, in fact, part of the relaxation. The body's really relaxed. People who are sitting in med what they call meditation, but they're still uptight and, the, and there's still tension in the body, that's giving them some pain. They don't like it and they don't understand that. No, if you've got pain, you don't like it. And if you do, in, if your mind is in a state of not liking, that's a hindrance. You've got to be free from that. 
once you are free from that and get the body really relaxed, that's when the, the really good feelings come up. But that good feeling, when you were saying that you were breathing uh, rapidly, what I would recommend is, is that you start doing the same kind of air exchange that you're doing now, except that you do it in a longer, slower, deeper breath that no, normally people will breathe like from 40 to 60 and you're getting more exchange by doing that and breathing a little bit more rapidly. I would like for you to extend it to about 80-20 so that you're getting a much deeper, fuller breath, but that you're controlling it. That with every in-breath, in fact, you can have the thought of, wow, this is really nice. And on every out-breath, we have the thought of, oh, just relax, isn't this feeling good? Okay, and so this is the way that we would practice then of slowing the breathing down to bring on even more relaxation into the first jhana. Congratulations, you're gathering the factors together and being free from hindrances is, is uh, uh, an important part. But let's take those thoughts another step and make them very wholesome very, very conducive to the first jhana. They're very wholesome, like everything is okay, everything is fine, this is really nice. These are the kind of thoughts that will then help rush you right into the first jhana. This is kind of easy to do. Uh, it's easy to, a lot of people don't understand how easy the first jhana is actually to get into when they practice it correctly. Yeah. Now that you're doing it, you just add a little extra things and it, you'll see that it becomes even more so because uh, when you're breathing well then the mind is brighter if you're breathing very very softly very gently uh, because you're thinking that you're going deep into meditation then the mind gets dull not bright we have to make sure that the mind is staying bright because we want to do a really improper investigation. And one again, the things that we're doing, you can say then the sustained thought is the sustained thought of doing an investigation. And one of the things that we're going to investigate is how can I sustain this? How am I doing it that? Am I actually keeping things sustained in a wholesome way? The answer is certainly a yes, we're doing it. Look at this. <laughs> And so uh, we, we begin to investigate these jhana factors. How is this pity? How is this sukha? Uh, isn't this nice? Isn't this pleasant? This is really kind of great. These are the kind of thoughts that we want to have along with the quality of investigation. Now there's something else that's worthy of investigation, and that is actually parts of the Eightfold Noble Path and Anapanasati that gets us into this state where Bhikkhu Buddhadasa calls it uh, a state where the mind is fit for work. Mm -hmm. What do we mean by fit for work? Because we can apply it on what we want to apply it to and sustain it there. And in this case, sustaining it on this investigation. This is what the Buddha recommends that we do with the first jhana once we've gotten into it, a lot of people don't even know. Very few people you go around saying, oh, John, this, John, that, and yeah, and the answer is, so what? 
Ah, so now the mind is fit for work, and so now we can really do the proper investigation. Or if you want to think of it in, in Mahasi methods, now after one is in first jhana, is the mind fit to note? Except that what we're going to be noting is only wholesome things because we have already worked at the job of removing unwholesome thoughts, unwholesome reactions and feelings, and therefore the part of the path of Paticca Samuppada we've already cut off because we now have wisdom at the point of contact when things contact us so that we have feelings of pity and sukha. We don't have mm-hmm. feelings of anger, sadness, frustration, and whatnot, that we actually have to be out of first jhana in order to have those things happen. Okay? Yep. So, all right. So, in fact, in the state of first jhana, one of the things to notice is, is that there's no selfishness here, that this is just merely process. This happens and this happens and there are these various ingredients. There are these various factors. One of the factors is right view, right sati. Do I, how's my memory? Can I remember to get into the first jhana often? How's my effort? What kind of effort does it take to get into the first jhana? How's my breathing? You know, does what kind of effort do it, does it take? So these are the kinds of questions of investigation that we want to investigate when we're in the first jhana, is to investigate things that are very wholesome, like what's really happening right now. How's my breathing? How's my pity? How's my sukha? How's my investigation? How is my uh, sustained thought? How is my right effort? How is my sukha? How is my pity? Uh, How is my uh, sati? All of that kind of stuff leading into the deeper stuff in the sense of beginning to identify what is feeling, what is perception, what is consciousness. What actually is it? How do I know I'm conscious when I'm conscious? What is it? We begin to investigate that, but I would say that those kind of things are kind of at the end of the list after we get fully investigating into all of these wholesome things, we can get right down to the very bottom of it. Eventually to the point that we can actually begin to uh, manipulate perception itself. But these would be higher jhana states mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. we don't need to work with right now. We can talk about that, that level later. But even in the first jhana, you can begin to understand the nature of the mind and how it works, especially if you've got the Buddha's map on how to do that, which is called the Paticca Samuppada. Okay, and so uh, if you call again, we can talk about that, but right now the introduction is, is that all those things in there that are wholesome, you will have to investigate for yourself when you're in the first jhana. Perception, mm-hmm. consciousness, uh, the Buddha did not put Sankara on that list because that's just dwelling in the past. Having thoughts about the past, we don't need. Right now, we're only dealing with this present moment. And because there's no Sankara, that means that our feelings are not polluted by the past. And therefore, without being polluted, they don't go into the past of 
grasping and clinging and wanting things that we don't have in that kind of state. And in the first jhana, we're free from those those hindrances and those uh, dukkhas that take us into the woeful states. But when we're out of the first jhana, living our ordinary life, then we're subject to the hindrances again. So, that's back to the first question. How can we live our uh, daily lives while we maintain as much as possible being in first jhana so that we are, in fact, free from dukkha because we're free from the hindrances? And we can walk around living our life that way. It's, everything is great. We don't have any troubles and no problems and no sufferings and no worries. And every time one comes over, aha, I see you. And out it goes. And this is the kind of way that we need to practice. And this is why I would say, starting in this part of the conversation, I would ask uh, or talk to a student about what do they think is more likely, uh, hindrance-wise. Since we have been having hindrances most of our lives, but we have hindrances every day, and then I spend one hour a day in meditation and get a whole lot out of it, but then am I back into hindrances 23 hours a day? If that's so, then doesn't it look like hindrances are going to win that battle? <laughs> yep. Okay. And that, well, what keeps us from being in first jhana throughout the day? Since you already know how to get into it on the couch or on the cushion, sorry. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe it's the couch. Uh, you can do it on the couch. <laughs> uh, on, on the bed, on the chair. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Okay, well, now that you know that it's like that, then we need to make sure that the way that we're practicing can build up the sati to remember to get into that state quickly throughout the day. And so there, uh, one of the ways of doing it that I teach the students, you might have heard about this, is that uh, a lot of people in meditation think that, oh, the longer they sit, the better. Somehow the two hours is better than one hour, and then they keep writing back about back pain and all this out stuff. Uh, and the point of it is, is that even if you go from one hour to two hours, you're still in 22 hours now of uh, samsara. <laughs> even yeah. if you were getting full benefit out of two hours of sitting practice. I know you suggested Matt, for example, to do more frequent but less um, duration practices, yes. Yes, especially if you're getting good at it, then you can get into the first jhana easily. It's better to get into it six, eight, ten, twelve times a day. Now you're building a new habit, and we begin to remember it. So I would say offhand, uh, maybe even for you, you can do it 10 times a day for six minutes and you still only put in an hour, except that six minutes here, there, and yon is really easy to come by. Oh, yeah. The first, the first six minutes is when you're still in bed in the morning. As soon as you wake up, get yourself into first jhana before you get out of bed. Okay. Okay. And so you begin to do it throughout the day to get yourself into a really good state as many times in the day that you can remember to. An example of that that I teach students often is any time that they sit down in a chair, think of that, letting go and just sitting down and go right for you, right into first jhana. 
And so if you get up out of the chair and sit down 20 times a day in a chair, that's 20 times you're in first jhana. This is the way that you want to practice it so that you've got really strong control over the mind to keep these hindrances out. Okay. This is a way of practicing that being free from the hindrances will set you up for doing the kind of investigation where, where the fetters begin to really melt away. One of the fetters is the fetter of doubt, and that will just melt right away for you. And we can talk, I think you may have heard me talk about doubt. There's three levels of it. We'll talk about that at some other time. Uh, but uh, uh, real deeper fetters will begin to melt away simply because the hindrances that's associated with it are not giving any, any uh, energy, any flack, any time at all that we pull them out. As soon as we see the hindrance arise, we say, out you go. Hey, we're having a party here. <laughs> this is the way to begin to um, practice throughout the day. Is that, uh, and I teach the students also in a way that if you've got work to do, don't do it. If you do it while you're feeling bad. It's better to stop doing the work that you don't want to do, but you've got to do anyway. Go get yourself into a really good state and then come back and do the job when you're in a really, really good state. And while you're in that really good state and you're doing the work, you fall out of it. Now you don't like it again. It's better to just stop, go back, get yourself into a really good state again, and then come back and finish that task whatever it is, writing an email, or whatever the job is, is that the important thing is to keep ourselves into a really good state by keeping ourselves free from hindrances, worries, doubt, frustrations, uh, anxieties, and all of that. Just to stay out of that stuff and forget about it. And so this is how you would apply the first jhana, is to apply it only on the wholesome. Perception, consciousness, uh, Vedana, feelings, Pasa, how to think, contact you. These are the way, as well as another one I'll add, which would be enthusiasm. How's your enthusiasm? Enthusiasm is a really, really big quality in it. If we're enthusiastic about this practice, then it's going to go someplace. If we don't, if we, if we're practicing this because we heard that it's good for us, <laughs> um, then it probably won't be. <laughs> well, I would say my doubt is majorly reduced because, again, I I experience states of no self, like um, obsecution and jhanas obsecution. So I see how great it is. Um, I do believe I have strong enthusiasm towards practice, but at the same time, it doesn't really transform into diligence, proper diligence. I guess it's always a degree, and I'm still working on basically increasing the diligence. I understand. I hear the words often, like strong determination, diligence, devotion, those 
uh, uh, kind of words that are actually coming out of the perspective or the um, attitude of being a loser, that you've got to get yourself up for it, okay? Okay. Changing the attitude then only slightly by changing those kind of words of determination and devotion and even to the word struggle into the word eagerness or enthusiasm. Those are the words the Buddha uses to become enthusiastic for the practice, to become mm -hmm. eager to hear the Dhamma. This is how we look at it, okay, is because if, we, if we're determined, yeah, you can do it, but it's a struggle. But if you're it's, enthusiastic, it's, it's not. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, uh, watching for our enthusiasm. How is our enthusiasm? That, by the way, enthusiasm is right here on that list of things to do in the first jhana. Now, where is that to-do list to be found is actually in a sutta. It's in the Majjhima Nikaya number 111. 111. Mm -hmm. Majjhima Nikaya. Uh, and the name of the sutta is one by one. And basically... It, it has many one-by-ones in it, but basically we talk about it as one-by-one one as they occur. And what they're talking about in this sutta is the one-by-one one that occurs is that which is to be investigated, and that which is to be investigated are these very things that I've given you a fairly detailed list in, but in this sutta they're actually spelled out. That in the first jhana, you investigate all of the items of the first jhana, which is actually rapture and pleasure, born of seclusion, plus the uh, uh, applied and sustained thought. In the second jhana, the applied and sustained thought is removed, but all of the same items are still there on the list. And so as the student goes higher into the jhanas, there's just merely fewer, very wholesome, positive things to note. And we never in that state of noting ever are noting any unwholesome things because that was the very first thing that we do is being secluded from unwholesome states. Therefore, everything there is to note is going to be a wholesome state. And we want to try to maintain that. This is what the real Buddha's teaching is all about. When we talk about dukkha, dukkha naroda, it is being able to see the dukkha, the unwholesome, so that we can immediately move into the Dukkha Naroda and stay in the wholesome. And so this is what I would recommend for your first jhana is to keep it wholesome. Because as long as you keep it wholesome, you can maintain and sustain the first jhana. And while you're in the first jhana, you have some work to do. And that is to look at how things really are. How is my investigation? How is my pity? How is my rapture? How is my, you know, everything down the line with all the items of the first jhana, plus the items of the uh, Paticca Samuppada, and the items on the Eightfold Noble Path, especially those that correspond with the seven factors of enlightenment, the Sambo jhana. The Sambhojana is actually the fulfillment of the Eightfold Noble Path because it starts with 
unremitting mindfulness. So you can actually use that word as a cue for yourself. How is my unremitting mindfulness? Do I keep reminding and keep remembering to be in the first jhana? Can I sustain that? Can I keep investigating? If I'm, if I can remember, 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 remember to stay in the first jhana so that I have one wholesome thought after another, after another, after another, then I can investigate to make sure that these thoughts are wholesome one after another. And by doing so, a certain amount of energy comes in in the sense that we get the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, as Eightfold Noble Path has right effort, this is no longer an effort. This is just what we're doing, man. <laughs> we're watching what's going on. <laughs> Why? Because now the part of it is that the effort has been taken out of it because there's no more kicking unwholesome thoughts out. Every thought is now wholesome and wholesome, and so naturally it's going to be an effortless kind of thing to do. So that then the pity and the sukha become unremitting. Yeah, there it is again. Yeah. Welcome back, old friend. This is the kind of way that we look at it. Is it, uh, and it has a lot to do with attitude also. So how's my attitude? These are the positive things that you, that you want to look for when we're in that very, very wholesome state. Always with very wholesome thoughts. It's great. Okay. Now, I have also drawn out of several suttas in our talk today one of them was 111 that I told you mm-hmm. about. Another one is Sutta number 19. And in Sutta number 19, the name of that Sutta, by the way, is Two Kinds of Thoughts. Wholesome thoughts and unwholesome thoughts. And in there, the story of the cowherd. The cowherd has to strike the cows to keep them in line while they're going down the path. But once he gets them out to pasture, he can sit under a tree. He doesn't have to guard the cows anymore. That's like getting into first jhana is to get the hindrances out of the mind. You have to whack those cows and get those unwholesome thoughts out. But once we've gotten into first jhana, we have only wholesome thoughts. And so now we can really relax because it's actually now we've got the energy to do this job because it's an easy job because every thought now is wholesome. Yeah, I can see that. Excellent. And so that's the story of the cowherd in Sutta number 19. The one phrase that I haven't used with you is the term that that the Buddha uses in the Anapanasati Sutta, and that is to gladden the mind, to gladden the mind, to perk it up. And we do that with having wholesome thoughts. But the kinds of thoughts that are not just wholesome, but they're uplifting. Like, wow, I really like this. Wow, this is really great. Or isn't this really nice? Because that that begins to bring that confidence up. Because Mm -hmm. actually a lot of the pity has to do with the confidence that I can do this. This is possible. And so gladdening the mind in that direction. Being able to do it. Being able to be having the mind free from, from hindrances. How nice it feels to be free from the hindrances. How good it feels. All right, so this is the way that we want to talk and then uh, put the talking in service with the feelings 
so that we can bring these feelings of sukha and uh, pity on very easily, literally talk ourselves right into it. And then we want to be able to maintain it. So those are the two primary big skills, is the skill of getting into first jhana quickly and the skill of maintaining that first jhana. As often as possible through the day. I'm sorry, what? As often as possible through the day. That's right. And so any little anchor that you can use to do that, even the movement of your arms and hands, when you reach out for something, to touch it, you can stop and you can say, wait a minute here, this is a moment that I can really enjoy. <laughs> Let me put all of my awareness and knowledge into the hand. Let it become tingly alive. Okay, really, really, let it, let it be really there for you so that you uh, give yourself many anchors throughout the day to remind yourself that it really is okay for you to be in top-notch, beautiful state of mind. So anytime you move your hands, anytime you open a door, anytime you sit in a chair, anytime you stand up, Anything at all like that would be a cue for you to take a deep breath and to set yourself into a really marvelous state. And then while we're in there, we've got a job to do. And what is that job? To observe only the wholesome. Okay, does that make okay. sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> like it was. Basically, it was in your previous videos, obviously, and but talking to you, like hearing to my, hearing myself, helps, of course. Excellent. All right. So one last point about that, and that is in the Nyanapanasati Sutta, the Dhamma part, talks about Anicca. The, the fact that everything is temporary, everything is fading away, and everything dies out, so too is the Sutta number 111, making that point, that one by one as they occur, we initially start looking at things as they arise or as they're happening, but then we begin to change the focus from the fact that no, we not just see the arising, we see the passing away of it too. Everything lives and dies in just a thought moment or so. Everything is arising very quickly. That in fact, uh, one of the ways of thinking about it is as you're experiencing or as you're investigating um, uh, uh, enthusiasm, and you do that right after you're investigating, um, let us say, um, pity, and you're seeing the difference, then the pity will die, die or, or dwindle down while you're in your awareness, the uh, enthusiasm becomes strong. And then the enthusiasm will go down as you note the next thing. And then the, that thing will go down as the next thing is noted. And you begin to watch not just the things arise, but as they flitter away. 
so that you begin to see things just rising and passing and rising and passing. And you can see that just fine in First Jhana because you're looking at it. Did you freeze? No. Okay, you're back. I'm not sure if you heard me. You had frozen um, there. Yeah, it froze a little bit. Um, so enthusiasm and PT go uh, in reverse, basically? Yeah. Right. Basically, the neurota that we begin to look at not only do things arise in the mind, but that they pass away as the next thing arises. Yeah. And as this passes, as this arises, this passes away. But then when this arises, this thing passes away. And as this arises, this thing passes away. And it happens very quickly in the mind. That everything arises and passes away. Mm -hmm. Are you back? No. You were with me for a while. Oh, I see you now. Okay. Yeah. I'm in Ukraine right now, and I mean, internet was not bad <laughs> before, <laughs> but it's very like on my side. Yeah, yeah, that's okay, no problem. So um, I think that we've basically talked these two points enough. One yeah. is to practice throughout the day, use things to uh, put you in that state often. And then the other one is, what are we going to do in the first jhana? We're going to start watching the arising and passing away of phenomena, but all the phenomena that we're going to be watching is the stuff that's really happening right now, and all of it is wholesome. Mm -hmm. That's okay. the way to look. Okay. Those are really two great answers to my questions. And okay. It does seem, yeah. That's well, I hope to see you again. Um, yeah, yeah, I will definitely call with updates. Okay. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much, Damaratan. All the best. Enjoy. Enjoy. Thank you.